0: Good to be here, and I just want to explain some things about New Zealand, just kind of share my, my burden for it. Um, as I mentioned, New Zealand is a, is a very isolated place, it really is, it's, it's far away, and one of the interesting things about New Zealand citizens is the fact that, kind of that, that mentality that they have because they're so isolated. Uh, one of the most interesting things since in, in visiting there and, and whatnot and, and being there is just how they think. Um, they're, they're because they're so isolated, their whole mindset is based on kind of an independency, if you will. Um, if you think about it here, for example, here in the States, um, if you have, let's say you go to the store and you buy a kiwi, all right? New Zealand is a, is a big exporter of the kiwi fruit. So you go to the store, most of the time here in the States, you know, they're oval or, or kind of a circle shape. Well, if you go to the store in New Zealand and you, and you go to buy a kiwi, you'll find these kiwis are all misshaped and oblonged and and just kind of odd looking, kind of deformed. And the reason being is because they take the best kiwis, they ship them away to get the most money in return. And they keep all the bad kiwis for themselves. And so as I got to learning about this, I asked some more questions that kind of intrigued me a little bit, and it's the same with vehicles. Uh, The closest major auto industry, as far as a nation is concerned, to New Zealand is Japan. So they make you know, things like Honda, Toyota, uh, Nissan, all those you know, types of uh, brands. Well, here in the States, we have things like a, uh, a Honda Civic or a uh, Toyota Tundra pickup truck, a uh, Honda Odyssey minivan. Well, here in, the, or in New Zealand, you won't find that. You'll find things like a Honda Wish or a, uh, a Toyota Traveler. There's just these weird, weird names. And what those are is those are the cheaper end models that, that these Japanese car makers put out. And so New Zealand says, hey, bring them down to us. We don't want to spend that much money on things because we're so independent from everyone. We don't have the, the infrastructure like everyone else. And so bring them down here. Well, they'll do you one even better. They won't even transfer the vehicles out of Japanese characters. So if you have a GPS in your, in your, in your vehicle and you go to type something in, unless you know Japanese, you have no idea where you're going. And so it's kind of an interesting mindset how they think and how just, just how their whole mindset is different. They understand, hey, you know, many people forget about us. Um, there's actually a forum right now on the Internet that you can go and basically the, you can become a member of this forum by simply putting a map that you find either on the Internet or in a store or even like a globe, and you take a picture of it, You become a member of this forum if you can find an object or a map like that that does not include New Zealand on it. And last time I checked, that forum has 42,000 members. So that means there are 42,000 maps or globes or things that show the world on it that do not have New Zealand on it, and so that are in circulation. So they're just kind of a forgotten people group. They really are. Um, And and so because of that, they kind of they kind of grow some, some big shoulders and they say, hey, we don't, need, you know, we don't need the rest of the world. We can do this on our own. You know, they kind of take pride in that. But the unfortunate thing is that same mindset has crept in to the spiritual side of things. They don't feel that they need a relationship with Jesus Christ. If, if they can do everything on their own and they can live with this independent lifestyle and they can do it well, which they do, why would they need anything else? And so because of that, you have a major lack of of the gospel in that country uh, we were there a couple of years ago visiting and I was talking to the, the man that we're going to work with and he said Greg I've been born and raised here my whole life you know I, I, I was reached by missionaries he said right now I can I can with certainty p- pretty good certainty I can think to myself of, of about 50 churches in the whole country that he said preach the gospel and he put that in air quotes and basically what it meant is they, they stand up, they preach from the Bible, and that's, that's really about it. They're not really going out and trying to win people to Christ. They're just kind of sustaining there. And he said, Greg, out of those 50 churches, I feel comfortable enough saying that on average, there's probably about 50 people that make up those churches. So if you do the math, that's, that's 50 churches with roughly 50 people in them. So that's 2,500 people under the gospel each and every week. In a country of 5 million, that's point zero 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 five of a percent. And, you know, so often here, here in America, especially, you know, is this considered the Bible Belt? Probably not, right? We're not we're a little past the Bible Belt. But in the South, all right, okay, in the South, right, um, you know, there, there's a church everywhere. I mean, we, I probably passed 50 churches coming down the Florida Turnpike today, you know, just in that, in that three-hour drive. Uh, I, I read a statistic. There are more churches in Knox County, Tennessee, the county itself, than all of Australia and all of New Zealand combined. And we, we just kind of get caught in this bubble, don't we? We, just, I mean, we? We're in America and we're so blessed, richly blessed, and we kind of forget that that's not the case everywhere. And so because there's a lack of gospel preaching, there's a lack of knowledge of Jesus Christ. Uh, every for every three Kiwis or New Zealanders, you'll find that two of them will say they know little to nothing about Jesus Christ. It's interesting. I, I, I've seen that, that kind of lived out in person. We were, that same trip a couple of years ago, we were knocking on a door. We were down kind of by a university area and just kind of, you can kind of picture like apartments on top of apartments, college students living there. So we knocked on a door and, and this college student came to the door. She was very kind. Uh, in fact, she invited us in for tea. Which, if that's happening, you're doing something right. They, they love their tea, they love coffee and hot drinks and stuff. And so she invited us in, and the man I was with, who was a New Zealander, he was, he was talking, and he got to the point, he basically was able to go through the gospel with this college student, and he got to the point in the gospel where he was talking about how Jesus Christ, you know, left heaven, came down to earth, you know, was God in human flesh, you know, basically explained the Christmas story pretty much. And as, as he was saying that, I noticed just a, a completely puzzled look on this college student's face. I mean, she was, she was lost, very, just very confused. And so I kind of gave my partner a little nudge on the shoulder. He looked up, you know, he saw the same puzzled look. And so he kind of closed his Bible, stopped, and he asked her, he said, do you, have, do you have any questions? Is this making sense to you? You know, is this something that you've heard before? You know, is, you, look, you look confused. Do you have any questions? And she said this, and I'll never forget it. She said, I've never heard of this, And when she said that, it, it, just, it, it almost just knocked me back on my seat. That there's literally someone in our world who's never heard of the Christmas story. I mean, folks, if, if you go back, what, four or five months ago now, people were setting up nativity scenes all over the place, saved or lost. I mean, e- even if you don't necessarily even attend a church or, or you know, are under the gospel you understand that there's some relationship with, with the birth of Jesus and Christmas. It's just, is what it is. You might not know the details and things, but again, that's how blessed we are. And yet there's someone in our world who doesn't know that. To me, that is just, it's heartbreaking. And it's, it's sad, <laughs> excuse me, but it's, it's the reality of it. And so you say, Greg, that sounds pretty bleak, that sounds pretty, you know, Man, like, how, how, do you, how do you bounce back from that? How do you even reach people like that? Well, I believe this. The darker the night, the greater the light. And I believe we have a wonderful opportunity right now to get the gospel to New Zealand. As I mentioned earlier, there's really no restrictions for us as far as missionaries. You know, we don't have to go in um, under a different visa or, you know, secretively. We can go in and, and we can, again, work with someone. That's the only requirement they give us. And from that point forward, we can launch out and preach the gospel. And so we don't have to learn, praise God for this, we don't have to learn another language. Brother, I failed Spanish like four times. So I'm, I'm thankful that I, don't, I almost failed Greek. Uh, I don't know why you passed me, but hey. Um, it, it's just the reality of it. I don't have to learn a language, so praise God for that. You don't have to really, you don't have to be, I guess, what's the word? You can be open. And you can, you can, there's freedom to give the gospel out. You know, we can actually go mailbox to mailbox and put in gospel tracts uh, with no issues at all. Here in the, don't try that here. All right, that will not work out well. So you can, you can go do that. you know, it's just, it's wide open. And then there is an incredible opportunity right now with, um, <coughs> with immigrants. So in New Zealand right now, uh, they, New Zealand sits right on the ring of fire. So you, you, there's a lot of earthquakes. In fact, just a couple weeks ago, there was like three in a day. And uh, they are feeling tremors in Utah over this thing, and so <laughs> there's 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 earthquakes all the time. And so because of that, there's a huge need for construction workers. You know, buildings with their foundations cracking and things like that. And so what what people will do is many people from third world nations will come over on a work visa, and they'll work for three, four, five years, and they'll just work, 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 and then they'll go back to their home countries, and and. And they're able to provide for their family pretty much, and so so what's neat about that is hopefully we can see some of those people saved, come to know Christ, and then naturally when they go back to their home countries, Lord willing, they share the gospel, to you know places we'll never get to, and the gospel just multiplies and grows and grows and grows. And so there's an incredible opportunity right now. And then obviously this is to train them from the foundation of God's word. You know, folks, this is a this is a powerful book. This is refreshing. It's life changing. It's not a list of do's and don'ts and just this monotonous drudgery. It is a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so we'll be able to train people from the foundation of God's word. And so there's, there's so much excitement in the midst of all of the, oh, that sounds pretty tough, or that sounds you know, like a challenge. God is already there. He's already moving. You folks already support a couple of missionaries there. Praise the Lord for that. And uh, God's doing a work And God is doing a wonderful thing there. And I believe um, New Zealand is primed and ready for God to do something really, really awesome. And so we're excited to get there. Uh, We started Deputation July 1st of last year. And uh, so that's about nine months ago. And uh, we're at 52%. So God is blessing. And a little bit different uh, in a worldwide pandemic. But, hey, what are you going to do? So we're excited about it. If you have a Bible, turn to Mark chapter number 5. Mark chapter number (laughs) 5. If you have any questions feel free to ask us afterwards and grab a pair card and um, again it's so good to be here we were here in 2016 uh, my my uh, family and I and uh, my and we were with my aunt in Jacksonville and then we drove down to Fort Lauderdale and got on a cruise my whole family went on a cruise and we were here that Sunday I believe you were gone pastor that Sunday uh, but we were we were here and uh, so it's kind of good to be back we were we were driving down the the road here and that's what i remember most it's such a peaceful drive i don't know what it is it's like it's like you're driving down magnolia lane at augusta national it's just i don't know what it is but driving down that thing it's like man i just like got into an oasis or something so uh, love that drive in but uh, mark chapter number 5 and this is, this is one of my favorite stories, because I really believe that if it's not for God's grace, uh, any one of us could be this man. We, we've come to know this story as the maniac of Gadara. And, and, and if, um, we've probably heard it preached, we've heard it taught maybe, or maybe you've even taught it or preached it in a Sunday school. and We read about this, and, and we often think, wow, that is an incredible story. But yet again, you know, how many of us are just a few wrong decisions or a few uh, wrong relationships away from being a man like this, but for the grace of God? And so, Mark chapter number five, I'll just read uh, one verse this evening to start. We'll kind of go through it, but as kind of a launching pad verse, Mark chapter number five, we'll look at verse number five. It says this And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones, or right, one more time. and always night and day he was in the mountains and the tombs crying and cutting himself with stones. My mother grew up uh, in, a, in a home, I wouldn't say it was a broken home, but it was a home that just had challenges. And in particular her brothers, my, my uncles, um, from a very young age just got involved in the wrong things. They really did. I mean from, from really junior high into high school, into their adult years. um, You know, it was drugs, alcohol, um, in and out of jail, never could really hold a relationship. And and in particular, my Uncle Mark. And my Uncle Mark, really just from the time that I could even remember, I I just knew him as that guy who just was always at the wrong place at the wrong time. It it just seemed like he, he never could get ahead in life. He was always struggling. Again, he couldn't keep a relationship. You know, he could never keep a job. He just, he just struggled. And, and he, would, he, would, he would, you know, almost take two steps, or one step forward, two steps back. That was Uncle Mark. I'll never forget one particular morning, I, uh, I was coming down my, my, the stairs of my house there in Ohio, and we're at Old Farm House, and so, <coughs> excuse me, we, I, you walk through the, the, the dining room there, and as I was walking through the dining room to get my cereal, for breakfast, I realized my Uncle Mark was was there at my dining room table. And I thought to myself, wait a minute, he, he was not there last night when I went to bed. You know, what in the world are you doing here now? And so I, I got my cereal and and I poured it. And I remember as I was pouring my cereal, I, I, heard, I heard this, I heard this scream coming from the dining room. And unbeknownst to me my dad had walked up from the basement and he had he had walked in the dining room and the night prior my my uncle Mark was at a bar. He got involved in this bar fight, and a man went to go stab him. And as he, as he went, to, went to go kind of block that, that knife, the, the, the knife went through the top of his hand. And he didn't know what else to do. He, he, was, you know, he was probably intoxicated. So somehow he got to my parents' house. My, my, my mom, his sister, got to our house. And my dad had, had taken some antibacterial spray and sprayed this into his hand. And that was the scream that I heard. And I remember as I walked out, and I could see this, you know, this dime-sized hole on top of his hand. I remember as I as I grabbed my cereal and walked back up to my room. I remember thinking to myself, "Man, that is just so, Uncle Mark. You know, what, I mean, what what were you even doing? Why were you even there last night? Why were you out so late? Why didn't you just go home? You know, how did you get involved in this fight? What what are you doing?" I remember just thinking to myself, "Man, that that guy is just hopeless." He's just just going nowhere fast. And I believe in this passage of Scripture, we find a man like that. We find a man who's hopeless, broken, just just going nowhere fast. And if you notice in verse number 2, he's hopeless because of his isolation. Look at verse number 2. It says, And when he was come out of the ship, immediately there met him a man out of the tombs, a man with an unclean spirit. So Jesus Christ gets out of the ship, and this man, this, this, the maniac of Adara, immediately meets Jesus Christ. And I love the wording of the Bible. The, it, it wasn't as if this man saw Jesus and just kind of waited and thought about, you know, who is this guy? What's going on? Why is he here? The Bible says immediately he was there. This man made a beeline towards Jesus Christ. And if you think about it, the man was isolated really from everyone. We find the in the, the next verses, they try to tame him, they try to bind him with fetters and things and chains, and he breaks out of it. Finally, they just say, you know what, let this guy, let this crazy man go. Just, just whatever, go up, in the, go up in the mountains, go up in the tombs, and just, and just get away from us. And we find in verse 3, this man had his dwelling among the tombs. In other words, this was pretty much all he knew. He had kind of planted himself and taken root in the mountains and in the tombs. Can you imagine that? Imagine the brokenness of this man. Being so isolated from the rest of the world. No one's coming up to visit you. No one's coming up to ask you how your day's been. No one's coming up to, to say if you need a hand or if you need some help. You, you're, just, you're just alone. Isolated from all of society. And then we find he was hopeless because of his condition. Look down at the verse we read, verse number 5. It says, And always, night and day, he was in the mountains and in the tombs, crying and cutting himself with stones. I don't know about you, but there's been times in my life where I've been, I've, been, I've gone through seasons of discouragement. I'll just be honest with you. I, I, it happens, right? And there's times where you know, I, I kind of just find myself crying for no reason. It just, it happens. It, you don't know why you're crying, but, but then by God's grace and by his mercy and his love, you know, I, I come out of those seasons and I kind of get back on track and God uses that and grows me. But yet the Bible says that always, night and day, that was this man. There was just no rest for this man. There was no peace. Always, night and day, he was crying. Emotionally, he was just distraught. Emotionally, he was gone. Emotionally, he had nothing left in the tank, just constantly crying. And then it says, and cutting himself with stones. So Let me have the physical pain on top of that. This man had gotten to the point where he thought to himself, you know what, it's not even worth living anymore. It's not even worth just surviving. Just, just why not, let's just cut myself and get this over with, and let's just move on. That was this man. Can you imagine your life, every single day, night and day, Experiencing this and going through this over and over and over again. So he was hopeless because of his isolation, because of his condition. But I believe this, he was hopeless because of his identification. Look at verse number 9. So Jesus Christ walks up to him and and he begins to to ask this man a question. And in verse number 9, Jesus says, what is thy name? And he answers saying, my name is Legion, for we are many. Now, I don't know about you, I'm I'm not an English expert, I'm not really good with languages, as I've already mentioned. But I know this, that the word my is singular, and the word we is plural. And last time I checked, those shouldn't be combined in one sentence. So, so, So what's happening here? Well, this man is asked a question by Jesus, what is your name? And he says, My name is Legion. If you notice the word legion there is capitalized. It says, then it says, For we are many. I've done a little bit of study on this, and I found out that a legion, from what I've read, is, is can be anywhere between from what I've seen and read, anywhere between about six and, and twelve thousand I've seen, of something, a, a numerical number. And so Jesus Christ ask this man, they say, my name is Legion. In other words, for for, for we are many. In other words, this man had been so overcome by by demonic oppression, by demonic possession, that he couldn't even tell Jesus Christ who who he was. These demons were speaking through this man, identifying who he was to Jesus Christ. He was so overcome by demonic possession that he couldn't even speak for himself. Jesus Christ, the Savior of the world, is literally talking with the forces of evil. You say, man, that's, that's pretty rough. Well, you're right. Well, turn back to Mark chapter number 4. And look at verse number 35. Maybe a page or two back in your Bible. Mark chapter 4 and verse 35. To give you context here, the, Jesus Christ is just given the parable of the mustard seed. He takes the disciples, he gets in the boat, and he says in verse 35, In the same day when the even was come, he saith unto them, Let us pass over unto the other side. You say, why'd you have us turn there, Greg? What's the, what's the point of this? Well, folks, here's the best part about all this. You see, Jesus Christ in his omniscience knew who was on the other side knew there was a man who was helpless and broken and going nowhere fast, in need of him, about to to physically be done with life. And yet Jesus Christ, in his love and mercy, got on that boat and went to the other side. And here's the best part. Go back to Mark chapter 5 and verse 15. So Jesus Christ arrives. he, he, He meets this man. He casts out the demons. They go into the swine. They go off the cliff, and in verse 15 it says this, And they come to Jesus and see him that was possessed with the devil. See, now it's past tense. Amen. And had the legion sitting and clothed. We find in, I believe it's the Gospel of Luke, in in that account of the story, this man was naked, and now he's clothed. And then it says, and in his right mind. Remember just a few verses prior, he was emotionally unstable, he's crying, he's cutting himself with stones. And it says, and they were afraid. Folks, what a radical change when Jesus Christ arrived. And then we find in verse 20, the man uh, departs and begins to publish in the capitals. in other words, an entire region, how great things Jesus had done for him, and all men did marvel. They couldn't believe it. The crazy man up in the tombs, now radically changed. By the power of Jesus Christ. I began this evening talking about my Uncle Mark. And just kind of, he was the guy and just always, always messing up and always struggling. And About four or five years ago, I got a phone call from my mother. It was a Sunday afternoon. And I could tell she was crying. She was not doing well. And so I, I asked her, I said, Mom, you know, what's going on? Is everything okay? And she said, all she could say was, it's your Uncle Mark. And I'll be honest with you, I thought to myself, oh boy, you know, now what? What happened now? And she began explaining to me how about a a few weeks prior, my Uncle Mark had visited church. And she introduced him to my pastor, and they talked a little bit, and, and they had met a couple more times from that time until that day, and they had talked and discussed some things. And that particular Sunday that my mom had called me, my Uncle Mark had come back to church. And after the service, they walked out into the lobby there's, in, of our home church there. There's a, there's a couch. I can picture it right now. There's a couch. And my Uncle Mark sat in that couch, and my pastor sat down next to him. And that afternoon, my Uncle Mark asked Christ to save him. And I remember we, we talked a little bit and hung up the phone. I remember when I put the phone down, I just kind of sat back. And just like verse 20, I just kind of marveled at the goodness of God. And just how there's, there's no soul that's too far gone, that there's no person too broken, there's no, there's no person on this earth too hopeless and too, too uh, gone for Jesus Christ. And folks, I'm here to tell you tonight that there's people just like this man right here. Right here in Pembroke Pines. Pembroke Pines right down the street in Miami, right up the road in Orlando, New Zealand, Africa, they're all over the place. And unless we get serious about getting out this message of hope, they will die broken and without Christ. You know, coming, coming here and, and talking with pastor and seeing all the missionary letters, it's evident that you folks love missionaries and praise God for it. Amen. And man, it's the heartbeat of the church. I really believe that. And I'll be honest, you know, we need money, all right? I'm just telling you, we need money. It's, 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 it has to happen. But I believe this. If all we ever do is, is, is put money in offering plates or, or increase our faith promise giving or whatever the case may be and, you know, take a prayer card and pray for us, and, and if that's all we ever do and say, all right, missionary, go do your thing, we're praying for you, whoo, and you send us across the sea, but yet we ourselves never go across the street. I think we've missed something. Because again, there's people right here that need the message of hope when all hope is gone. Because Jesus Christ died for all. And folks, Pembroke, Pines, Miami, that's part of the world. And we have an incredible opportunity and responsibility to share this message that when all hope is gone, help is on the way. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this day. Lord, I thank you for your love to us. God, I thank you for dying on the cross for us, Lord, and giving us new life uh, if we accept you. And Lord, I thank you for this church. Lord, the encouragement that's been to me. I pray now you bless the rest of the evening in your name. Amen.